Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Welcome to Football is Family, a podcast dedicated to the fan and fan experience. My name is Jeremy McFarland, and I want to look at the positive behind what makes football so enjoyable to watch and follow. I want to know why you are a fan of your team, of a player, or an era of football. Whether the pros, college, or high school, I want to hear and share your stories and your love for the game. If you want to be part of this podcast, please message me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore McFarlane, or on Facebook at the Footballist Family Facebook page. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. I'd like to thank everybody for uh, tuning in to the Football's Family podcast. Uh, I've got a special guest. I'll let him introduce himself in just a second, but he's also very patient. Uh, With my schedule lately, it's been crazy. So this is about like the third time we try to meet and finally, finally made it. And Zoom let us join together today. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, everybody. Uh, My name is Kevin Bryant, and I'm the author of Spies on the Sidelines, The High Stakes World of NFL Espionage. See, when, when I first saw the title of that, I was thinking, man, this is up my alley. I, I love James Bond films and things like that. But this doesn't have anything to do with international espionage, does it? No, it does not have anything to do with international espionage whatsoever. However, I will tell you that the tactics and techniques that are used um, can at times be very reminiscent of what is used in the international world uh, to a surprising degree. I think the readers will find. Okay. So you, you already have me drawn in. Tell us about this book. And I, I think at, today is the 12th. It, it, has it been released today or is it tomorrow? So it will be released tomorrow. The 13th. Uh, and you can get it where, where can, where can you buy it? Yeah. So you can obviously get it on Amazon. Um, it's going to be Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, or some of the main main retailers. Um, but you can ha- head over to my website, uh, www.spiesonthesidelines.com, and that will have all of the purchase options there. Okay. I will make sure to put that in the show notes, uh, if that's okay. But please tell us about this book, because I think I have an idea part of it probably has to do with a guy named Eric Mancini. Mangini. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's in the book, that's for sure. <laughs> well, tell, tell, tell us about it. Tell us about so, it. Yeah, so the book is all about the collection techniques that NFL teams utilize to try to gather information on their opponents in order to get a game day advantage, as well as the countermeasures that they employ to defend against those techniques. So it spans the entire history of the NFL and it has stories um, from every single NFL team in there. So no matter what team you're a fan of, it's 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 got something in there for you. Now, Jeremy, you mentioned Eric Mangini, and obviously, yeah. you know, he, he played a critical role in kind of the unraveling of everything that, that pertained to Spygate. 
um, the Patriots signal collections activities. And, and while the book certainly, I've got a section on the Patriots. So I won't say that there's, you know, it's not Patriots heavy because there's, there's certainly a heavier focus on the Patriots than any other team. However, that's, that's not the, the, you know, the, the main focus of the book. It is describing the techniques that, so first of all, the permissible techniques that all the NFL teams use. And secondly, the illicit or questionable techniques that many teams either currently use or have used in the past. So, you know, while the, while the Patriots are considered the bad boys of today, historically looking, there's been a bunch of teams that have been, you know, that have done uh, illicit collection in the past as well. Well, okay. You said that there's legal ways to, are you referring mainly to game film? So, yeah. So there's obviously game film, which is just a part of advanced scouting, right? And there you've also got debriefs, such as when players and coaches switch teams. Okay. Sitting down with them, talking to them about what they know about their their old team. Um, You've got signals collection. You know, the Patriots got busted because they were taping, they were videotaping the signals of another team. However, simply just trying to gather these signals, whether it's off of film, whether it's advanced scouts, or whether it's game time collection, that is allowed per NFL rules if you, as long as you're not videotaping it. And then also you've got open source or media collection. You know, what's out there on the internet? What is out there through coach inter- coaches interviews before the game? Um, so teams go through and try to gather information in all those, all those ways, and those are all perfectly legitimate. Okay. So if I were to say I'm playing for a team, I get traded to another team, and they say, hey, we're playing them in two weeks, what do you know? That's permissible. That is absolutely permissible, and most of the teams in the NFL do that. That makes, that- that makes it kind of hard to want to trade somebody and play them in the next couple of weeks, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it's it's something you got to think about. Obviously, um, when you're when you're cutting players, um, you know, and, and the value of a player really depends uh, to be debriefed by an opponent, right? It really depends on a few things. Um, one, how long has the player been with the team? Because the longer that player has been with the team, the more he's going to know. So when you cut somebody from, let's say, during preseason. Okay, yeah, he's going to have some information, but probably not a ton if he's brand new to the team. Uh, Another factor is what position they play. So a quarterback's going to have a very good understanding of an entire offense, whereas let's say an offensive tackle is only really going to probably know his role or maybe the role of that, that line. So it varies by position how much value that the debriefs are worth. And the last thing to consider is um, how how long ago did that player get cut from the team? So if it was a week ago, that information is going to be very fresh and he's going to be very current and up to date. If that player was cut six months ago, he might still have some value, but not nearly as much as someone who is very recently cut. 
Now, how how much? Maybe maybe you go into this a little bit if 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 this is an emphasis in your book. How much does uh, watching tape influence play call? Because obviously you're going to see their formations and you're going to see things. But say that I'm running a, a two tight end formation. 90% of the time, how do you know, how does watching film let you know what was happened out of that formation? Yeah. So watching film is huge. Um, of all the collection techniques, without a doubt, um, that is the standard. It, it, okay. That is, that is the most valuable technique. And that's just part of advanced, advanced scouting and advanced scouting can be. So all the teams are actually required to have tickets uh, to to have tickets available for their next few opponents to be able to come and watch them at at games. So scouts will show up and view the, that team playing live. So, but obviously, film study is very beneficial because you can sit there, you can watch the film as much as you want, you can pause it, you can rewind it, um, and you can take notes. And there's a lot of software now that is really beneficial for NFL teams. So they can plug in and say, hey, I want to be able to see every single time this team has a third and one. I want to see every third and one scenario for their last, and they can watch that for the last game, the last season, whatever they want. It's just a matter of plugging in the right search criteria, which is extremely beneficial because then you can start figuring out, okay, what is this team what is their what is their standard? What what are their percentages? Okay, I know seventy percent of the time on third and one, this team's going to run this play, or in the red zone. Um, you know, understanding is what their what their tendencies, which is really what we're talking about here. We're talking about tendencies, which are percentages most of the time, right? Right. How often are they doing it? based on based on a down and distance or based on being in the red zone or based on their field position is often key too right because on the third and 10 if you're if you're within your own you know if you're backed up to your goal line within 10 yards of the goal line it, it may be a lot more conservative play call on third and 10 than if you're sitting in the middle of the field so teams analyze all of that to develop tendencies based on the position of, of where that opponent is on the field. That's fat. I didn't know that about the uh, software. That's actually fascinating. That makes a lot better than what they used to do. Where they would watch the reels and have to watch them over and over <laughs> again, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a whole different world now than when they used, uh, yeah, film that was spliced together. And wow. uh, it's really revolutionized the game um, in that sense. Absolutely. Well, because it, it, I kept hearing, John Gruden would get up at three in the morning to go into film study. I'm like, well, I don't know how long it would take, but if the, the longer you go into a season, the more film you have to watch. That's gotta be, did I lose you, Kevin? No, you, you got oh, me. Okay. Here. Okay. okay. But that's gotta be incredible. Cause that's why you have all those uh, assistant coaches, don't you? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely a very, very big uh, part of it. And there are numerous assistants week in, week out, watching film. So you've got the players are going to be watching film, okay? And they're usually, they're going to watch it as, a, as either as a group by positions so that their position coach can talk to them about specifically 
what what they need to be focused on as a group or sometimes teams watch it as an is an entire uh, as an, as a team um but then you're going to have players also especially if you are a quarterback right that's going to be making calls or if you are a middle linebacker that may need to adjust on the fly and position the defense accordingly. Um, yeah, those guys are going to watch additional film study. But but the bottom line is, if you're a serious NFL player, they're all watching film on their own. And sometimes for hours, many hours, every day. Well, that's what got Jamarcus Russell in trouble. Uh, he didn't do that. But why is it that you can look on the sidelines and watch hand movements for plays but not record them yeah so that's that's ultimately a a rule that the nfl you know um came out with they've got a bunch of they've got a bunch of uh at the time um that spygate happened well even before leading up to it there was basically a rule about you could have you could videotape um but it was from what locations, right? Okay. So, um, and then when the Patriots, when teams started realizing what the Patriots were doing, the NFL came out with a memo um, and produced several memos basically saying, hey, videotape and signals, it's a no-no, like not, not permitted. Um, so ultimately when the, when the Patriots got busted for it, that was what they were punished for was violating the memo. Um, so, but before that in history of the NFL, um, there's been a lot of film collection that was done. Um, and even through, through videotape, um, the Patriots aren't the first one to do it. Jimmy Johnson, when the whole Patriots scandal, um, happened, he said, yeah, we did the same thing in Dallas. And he's like, and I learned this from another coach who was with the chiefs back in, you know, a long time ago. Um, he said, Jimmy Johnson said, the reason we didn't continue it, continue this program was because we didn't find it of value. And that's the thing with the Patriots that I think, you know, a lot of teams had done it in the past, but the Patriots were so good at being able to assimilate the information that they collected off of the, off of filming signals. So they can look at the signals figure out if it's an audible and then adjust accordingly. That's, that's a pretty good uh, uh, coaching staff to, to be able to do that that quickly. Yeah. So what they were filming was the de defensive play calls um, because at that time, defensive play call, the, the a defensive player did not have a um, communications with the defensive coordinator. Okay. So, that policy where where defender could talk to a defensive coach that only came into play after spygate and as a result of spygate they got the green dot on the back of their helmet that's exactly it yep yep so when you look at all this uh you say you have one you don't have one for the titans they they, they have been a model organization for 50 years they've been perfect lily white right He's grinning like he's got a story. My Titans, <laughs> it, and it hurts me to think about that. Actually, Jeremy, I, if you want, if you want, I can look. Um, if we if we pause, I can go. I can go look through. 
Now, that, 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 one, but I don't have one off the top of my head. Well, see, okay, that means that it's not that bad. That is, see, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm trying, uh, Kevin. I'm trying to to pull people over to the to the Titans Nation a little bit at a time, and maybe maybe it'll work. So, what got you interest, interested in doing this book? Well, so I would say, you know, I mean, I was interested with Spygate. What really got me hooked was when Josh McDaniels switched over to the uh, the Broncos and became their head coach. Yeah, he was, the, yeah. he was the you know the Patriots' offensive coordinator before that, and then he brought with him a videographer that was a former Patriots videographer, and that videographer ended up taping a practice of another team while he was with Den- Denver. And um, the Broncos staff learned about this, and then the NFL got called into it. And the bottom line is uh, the Broncos, uh, Josh McDaniels, and the videographer all got punished as a result. And at that point, I really started to wonder, you know, just how common um, spying in the NFL is. And I started researching the subject, started um, researching it on the Internet. Saw that, okay, yeah, there's a bit, but the bottom line is, especially searching in Spygate, I realized, you know what? No one really knows the answer to that question. And um, so I decided, you know, I thought maybe there were some books out on the topic. And there's one by Brian O'Leary on Spygate, which is a good book. Um, But, you know, that was the first and the last. And it's only about one team and it was only about a very specific point in time. And so I, I was, you know, I had a, I had a back background as a special agent, uh, collecting and uh, protecting information for the Department of Defense. And I was working on my um, intelligence studies master's degree, and I was planning on rolling right in after that to do a sports management degree. And I just thought, man, I've been wanting to write a book for a long time. This really fits with my skill set. Um, I had a bachelor's degree in history as well. And I thought, man, with all my degrees, it kind of pairs up with with everything that I'm looking at. And it's a really interesting subject. And, you know, I just thought, you know, this could, this could be my million, million dollar idea that everybody's trying to dream up, right? You know, what's, what's something that's a little different than what everybody else is doing that, that would be of interest. And I thought, I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to try, try writing a book on this subject. So you're, (laughs) <laughs> this is this is what the football's family podcast is about kevin i want to know who you are so you were you in the military i was yeah i spent eight years in the army army well thank you for your service i absolutely I actually today i did a funeral for a former marine and i have a lot of respect for for the men and women who served and are serving right now but you've got a history degree um what part of nfl history is your favorite if you were just to kind of look at part of history. Yeah. You know, I, I've got to say I would it's probably the, the, the time, um, the AFL, the time with, with the AFL and the NFL battling it out for control of who's going to dominate professional football. I think I've got a chapter on that in the book. And I think that is um, just a fascinating subject because you've got, you've got two teams that are competing for the best players coming out of college. Right. And they're literally just willing to do just about anything to get those players. And so, you know, they developed um, what they called babysitters. I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. Yeah. Which, you know, these are, these are for the most part, a bunch of rich businessmen that 
are working for these teams, you know, not being paid, but just working on behalf of them um, that are trying to recruit these guys to come to the respective leagues that they want. And, um, you know, they're hiding, you know, once these, once these players are finishing college, they're actually picking these guys up and oftentimes flying them places and then hiding them out, whether it be in hotels or facilities or wherever they're at. And then the other team's trying to steal the other league is trying to steal them away. So one team will try to hide them and, you know, put them in protective services more or less while the other league will go hunting for them and sometimes find them and then try to steal them away in the dead of night at times. I mean, it's, it's absolutely wild. And this is, this is uh, right up your alley with this book, but uh, did you ever, did you see, especially, okay, the AFL, NFL, uh, if that actually kept going and they didn't merge, mm-hmm. would you think that either one of those leagues would be around today or would they implode on each other? One of them's going to be around. Um, you know, and I think the way it ended with with the merger is is the most the most likely course of action that was always going to take because you had very two very wealthy leagues, and that was the difference with the AFL. Um, they were they were very they, they had the, those owners had a lot of money, and furthermore, the AFL was actually a little bit more exciting than the NFL in a lot of ways. Um, they had a lot of the most innovative coaches out there um, to include to include Al Davis. And you had some big name quarterbacks in the a, uh, AFL. Um, Joe Namath, for example. Um, so and the AFL was a lot more passing oriented because they redesigned the shape of the football to make it a little smaller, um, not quite as round and easier to throw which led to a much more passing oriented game. And so, you know, the NFL had, they had their hands full. That was really a legitimate battle that either side could have won if they decided not to merge. Um, And, you know, Al Davis, who ended up being the commissioner of the AFL uh, towards the end of it there, you know, a lot of people think he wasn't very happy with the merger. He actually wanted to take on the NFL full throttle and try to take it down and, and gain that crown. Um, and I'm not sure he wouldn't have done it because man, you talk about a guy who was willing to do anything to, to, to get the job done. Uh, he, he was, he was pretty elite and pretty awesome back in his heyday. Well, I, I believe his, one of his mottos was cheat, <laughs> just cheat baby. But let's, let's talk yeah. about Al, Al Davis for just a second. Um, he did a lot of stuff in the 80s that caused the NFL a lot of problems. Moving from Oakland to Los Angeles and then eventually back to Oakland. Right. Um, would you consider, and, and maybe you touched on this in the book. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. I, I'm going to, I plan on ordering it tomorrow. Um do you touch on that in the book or is that something that you'd, you would like to do a little bit more research on and, and come back on to talk to us about? So I don't get in, in the book, I do not get into the constant shift and okay. all of that, that changed it in the battle with Al Davis versus the NFL, um, which, yeah, I think that's a fascinating topic. It just it really is. didn't pertain to, you know, spying or collecting information um, per se. Um, but yeah, with Al Davis, um, I mean, he's, he's a legend in so many 
so many ways. And that I, he's one of the biggest characters in the NFL. And I'm a Broncos fan, Jeremy. So I grew up like despising Al Davis. I kind of thought he was a joke. And, and I think a lot of people felt like that towards the end of his career. Um, he, became, he became a joke and it was sad. It, 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 yeah, I, I would I would agree to that to an extent. Um, but in his in his prime, there was nobody that rivaled Al Davis. No, and and Bill Belichick was a big fan of Al Davis, and Al Davis was very heavy into using a lot of different collection techniques, including stuff that was either unethical, unethical, or downright just plain out illicit, um, such as. Uh, dressing up as a reporter and sneaking into other teams' locker rooms in order to interview right players to be able to get detailed information out. How of can a guy as recognizable as Al Davis? <laughs> how can you please tell me he was wearing a Groucho Mount or Groucho Mount <laughs> Marks uh, uh, mask? So I don't know. And, and the bottom line is, so I know in one of these instances, he would interview the player um, and he was getting actually the player was diagramming stuff on a chalkboard for Al Davis. Right. He was like, hey, you know, tell me in this situation, what would you do? And this player sitting there diagramming it for it. And then, you know, one of the uh, is a coach or one of the one of the staff came around. And was like it was like, hey. Al Davis, you know, he recognized me. He's like, hey, get out of here. You know, what, what are you doing? Um, you know, and there's other stories of him, him calling up, uh, allegedly, you know, calling up uh, a coach and trying to get the, uh, you know, and pretending to be a owner um, to, to talk to the opposing coach at halftime about what was happening and what he was planning to do. You know, so, you know, Al Davis had two mottos. Uh, one was just win, baby. But the second one, which Chuck Knoll also used, was whatever it takes. Mm. And that's the theme of my book, whatever it takes. Because I think that's very appropriate to the whole, um, everything to do with spying and collecting information. Because, you know, these coaches and players and teams, these guys just want to stick around the game as long as they can. And obviously building a... Building a, you know, getting to a Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl, and kind of, you know, starting a dynasty, all that is great. But ultimately, these guys just want to cling cling to this game as long as they can. Because like the name of your, your podcast, you know, football is family. That is so much more, that is so relevant to everyone that's part of a team. You know, their, their careers, their money, their friends. All of that is tied up with the teams that they're playing for. And they just want to cling to this game that they love as long as possible. You, um, now this is the, the, the book part is fascinating. And again, we'll put a link on to, to get this. And uh, you're also on Twitter. I have uh, followed you and I have uh, retweeted several times about your, your book. But you said something that piqued my interest. You said you were a Broncos fan. You and I have a something in common here. I grew up before the Titans came to Nashville. I grew up as a Broncos fan. Uh, I stopped at the moment that Josh McDan McDaniel traded my boy Jay Cutler. It hurt so bad, and I have never forgiven him on that. So tell me, what are some moments in Broncos history that that you look at and say this is why I like the Broncos? Yeah, well, to begin with, I mean. 
we've had, you know, Broncos fans, we've had a pretty good ride. We've had some, we've had some up and down, but we've been lucky to have some great quarterbacks. Um, and I would say it all started, uh, I was living in Seattle. My dad was a Seahawks fan back then. And, um, I was just a young punk kid. And I remember there was a game on and he had a bunch of friends over. They were all watching the game. And I just decided to root for the other team, uh, just to, you know, just to stir up some trouble more or less. And they were playing the Broncos at the time. And, you know, the Broncos had Elway, uh, back in his prime. And man, I just remember watching, just watching Elway just tear it up. And I was like, holy cow. And that was, that was the first game I really got into football. And I was like, man, ever since then, I, I, I got on that Broncos bandwagon. And obviously, um, they got a couple of Super Bowls with Elway, went to quite, a, you know, three others that they didn't win. Um, so obviously watching them, watching all their greats with, you know, Trell Davis and um, Shannon Sharp, Ed McCaffrey, um, you know, just such a great team to watch. Um, that that offense, that offense with LA just could have been the AFC Pro Bowl team back in the day. It was, was it was so strong. That uh, ninety seven game was the ninety no, it was ninety six, where they got beat by Jacksonville. I think that team, yeah, was probably the best out of the three. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I mean, everybody was shocked, absolutely shocked that they lost that game. Um, but yeah, but. You know, it happens um, sometimes, you know, you're, you may be the better team, but it's, you know, it comes down to that's, that's the reason you play the game, right? I mean, <laughs> well, you know. yeah, I experienced it this past season with the Cincinnati beating my first place team, you know, the Titans, it hurts, but I'm looking at the Broncos history. Uh, and I think one of my favorite moments, and this might be yours too, is when Elway was driving in Super Bowl 32 against the Packers and he starts to dive. You remember this play. I bet you yep, going yep, through yep. he dives and he spins around and lands on the ground. Now I'm 43. If when I was 37, I might've been able to survive that, but now it would hurt so bad. I don't think I'd get up, but I imagine he was so jacked that it did, he didn't even feel that. You know, I, I think that's a classic example of whatever it takes. That's a guy who is just not going to be denied. No. And, you know, there, there's no sliding in that position, you know, and, um, you know, I, you know, I know Cam Newton took some, a lot of heat during a big, during a big game for, you know, uh, not jumping into the pile after football, after a fumble, you know, and I think it's, it's hard. It's, it, you know, those are, those are hard questions, especially as a quarterback to answer when you're that valuable to a team, when are you going to do it? But, um, but you know, that's something I talk about in the book. I mean, we've, uh, you know, if you love sports, we've all, and you're an old guy, right? Like me, we've all played sports past our prime when, when it's just, you know, it's probably past the point of it being smart, a smart idea, you know, cause you know, you're, you're going to get injured, um, you're, you're no longer playing at your best, but you just can't quit because you just love it too much. And more than when, when, and when you get those, when you get to that age and when you know, your, your time is limited and your chance to win those big games is limited, you just don't care anymore. And you're just going to do whatever it takes to get that job done because, um, cause it means everything to you at that point. You know, there, there is no tomorrow. And you're willing to give up draft picks for a Super Bowl. 
you know, if you get penalized yeah. a draft pick or a hundred thousand dollars, you're willing to give that up for the Super Bowl. And and uh, kind of wrapping it up because apparently Zoom is telling me to wrap it up. Um, I don't know of a owner or a coach in this league that wouldn't happily give up first round draft picks for the next two or three years and several hundred thousand dollars to win a Super Bowl this year. I just don't know of one that would do that. No, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, the draft gets a lot of attention. I love the draft as much as everybody. And I, I talk about that's basically how I start my book is talking about the draft and all that. But having said that, um, there are, I, you know, there are a lot of coaches, especially before the salary cap went into effect, um, that were like, yeah, whatever. Like the draft is cool, but I want veteran players because they're the ones that are going to win Super Bowls. And, and I think that's still very much true today. It's harder to build that veteran heavy team nowadays because of the salary cap. But let's face it. I mean, you know, teams aren't winning quarterbacks with, with um, teams aren't winning Super Bowls with rookie quarterbacks. They're not. Yeah, they're not. Kevin, can you again uh, tell us where we can find you on Twitter and your book? Yeah. So the easiest way to find all my social media handles and to learn about the book and uh, learn about me, learn about the book, learn about um, all the different ways that you can order it is on my website. And that's www.spiesonthesidelines.com. And if you scroll down to the very bottom of it, it'll have my social media handles. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I enjoyed this, my friend. Uh, we would love to have you back on uh, when football season starts up and, and we can uh, we can talk about how bad the uh, the the Ravens and the uh, uh, Raiders are. <laughs> sounds sounds good to me. Thank you so much. All right, thanks for having me on. And we have a new sponsor here at the Footballers Family Podcast. It's Manscaped. Support for the Footballers Family Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 5 million men worldwide who trusted Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code FAMILY at manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived and, oh man, is it a game changer. Inside the package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver, Revival Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold your goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and I dare say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and it also has a 400K LED spotlight you need for a more precision shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. Now you thought that was good, but wait till you take your grooming game to another level. The Performance Package 4.0 includes the Weed Whacker Nose and hair, Ear Hair Trimmer. 
The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary safe skin technology, which help reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. The Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Below the Waist Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with code FAMILY. That's get 20% off and free shipping with code FAMILY at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tool with Manscaped. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.